0: Well, this morning we're going to draw to a close our study of this letter from the Apostle. And we have seen that the Gospel is dynamic. It is a power that changes us. Uh, We will never outgrow the Gospel. It exposes all our efforts to cleanse ourselves and to make ourselves uh, right with God. And it offers us instead something far better, Uh, Christ's finished work to us, his standing before God. He gives us a new status, a new identity. The gospel exposes our idols, especially our religious idols. And I hope you've been sensitized to the two great substitutes for the gospel, uh, legalism and its cousin moralism, and the opposite lawlessness. So I want to invite you now to stand We're going to finish the letter starting in chapter 6, verse uh, 6. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased uh, to open these words to our understanding. Grant us, Lord, that with faith and love we might receive the ministry of the Spirit. These words might be alive. They might cause us uh, to come to Christ or to grow in Christ. For we pray in His name. Amen. Amen. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ." And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Now, as we come to the close of this uh, letter, it may seem, well, kind of random and uh, disjointed. But there's one thought that holds it together. It is the principle of sowing and reaping, or as it's sometimes called, the law of the harvest. Now, every farmer lives by this law, every gardener does, and everybody who has a lawn lives by it. It's an inescapable uh, law. So, if you were a farmer, which I'm pretty sure we only have some green and brown thumbs uh, present in a couple of master gardeners, but if you were, it would be pretty foolish having sowed wheat to expect to have field corn at harvest time. Or, if you planted some tomatoes, to expect to find squash, And there's another part of this principle, which is the more you sow, the more you reap. Now, if you have a lawn and you want a lush, uniform, fescue, cool-season lawn, then you're going to need to aerate it and sow seed every year in the fall. A pound of seed spread over a quarter acre is going to leave you a lot of uh, bare spots. You're going to need about 200 pounds per acre if you'd like a nice, full stand of uh, grass. And Paul applies this principle to four areas, and I'm going to just walk through them in the order in which they appear in the text. First is sowing the word. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, when Paul writes this, he wants to be sure that what he just wrote before this isn't misunderstood, where he's written, for each one will have to bear his own load. It's possible for people to think, well, the pastor should have a job to support himself after all we uh, serve the Lord without uh, any uh, pay. Why shouldn't he? Isn't he here to serve the Lord? And something akin to this can happen in a congregation where church decides to keep the pastor humble by keeping him poor. And Paul's uh, heading this off. Notice what Paul writes. The one who is taught or uh, receives instruction, the Greek word behind that's the word uh, for uh, catechesis, and we get our word catechism from it. Uh, Catechesis, or catechism, is systematic instruction. Uh, It's the careful work of teaching and exposing people to the truth. And we just did that. We use the Shorter Catechism, which has a question and answer format. It's not the only way to systematically expose people to the truth. Uh, preaching through entire books uh, and bringing the full variety of Scripture is, a, is another uh, way to do that, as well as being uh, taught in the, in the classroom. And notice the phrase shares all good things. The teacher and the one who's taught uh, are... Well, they're in fellowship with each other. They form a special kind of partnership. There's a, a closeness that comes as they gather around uh, the word. And the teacher himself must be one who's received instruction from other teachers. And he shares the wealth of his uh, studies that he's mined, uh, as it were, through hard work. The student who receives such spiritual wealth is to reciprocate with material wealth, to free the teacher so that they might uh, not have to give themselves to full-time work, but rather to the study of Scripture and the other labors uh, that come in the life of the church. Of course, this can be abused. Pastor-teachers can be lazy, and congregations can withhold salaries. The latter happens when a church is, well, they view the pastor as an employee, exclusively as an employee instead of a shepherd, someone who's been given by God uh, to them uh, to serve them and to build them up. And if the church isn't happy with his messages for one reason or another or his work performance, they let him know he's out of line. They reduce his salary. Likewise, pastors can lose sight of the high, holy, and, well, hard, demanding uh, challenge of preaching and teaching and pastoring and leading a church. And they can neglect their responsibilities, or they can take shortcuts. Now, one of the characteristics of being Presbyterians is that we have a a very uh, high value set on uh, preaching, And we expect our pastors to be taught, and so we insist that our pastors receive formal theological education. They have to graduate from a seminary or its equivalent. And we expect them to continue uh, to learn, uh, to continue throughout their lives, uh, to give themselves uh, to study. And so we partner uh, with pastors And the congregation itself makes a commitment uh, both publicly in a promise and in writing uh, for the care of the pastor to free him from worldly concern, which is code for not having to worry about being able to pay his bills and therefore feeling he needs a second job. And of course, your next pastor will need to live among you, and he'll probably want to buy a home, and he will have all the same expenses uh, you do. Now, you have been very generous with Nancy and I, and I am fully confident that you will uh, do likewise. Uh, You will enable your pastor to live at the level that you do. This will actually happen uh, when you as a congregation receive a recommendation from the officers About uh, what the compensation package for your next pastor will be, and you will vote on it. Sowing leads to reaping a harvest. By sowing financial support, you will reap the fruit of teaching. Now, teaching, false teaching, bad teaching, is what troubled this uh, church. And throughout it, we've examined uh, uh, that the nature of that teaching, and talk some about who it was who came and spread this false teaching in the church. But sound teaching, correct teaching, uh, enabled by the Spirit produces life and good works, a true understanding of the gospel and the nature of grace, and it will result in faith working through love, which will in turn shape the entire shared uh, life of the church. God will be pleased, and uh, it will be not only faithful but fruitful as we love our neighbors and as we share the gospel with them. Rosaria Butterfield was interviewed on the radio some time ago, and she said that being born with a sin nature is a little like inheriting a garden. Let's say you inherited an enchanting garden, and for 10 years, you just let it thrive, You let it do anything it wanted uh, to do. You never prune the weeds. You never got rid of the pests. You never worked with the roses. You just let it thrive. And after 10 years, what is it? It's a disaster. It might very well get past the point of no return. And you go to a master gardener and say, this is not fair. Look what's happened. I let my garden thrive. And now see uh, what I've got. You know what the master gardener is going to do after they stop laughing? They're going to say, buddy, the garden comes with weeds. It's part of its nature. And failing to deal with that, you've destroyed it. Well, that's what Paul is saying here in verse 8. He's saying, pull up the weeds. For the one who sows to his own flesh uh, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, Paul is once again contrasting two different ways of life. By the flesh, Paul means our sinful nature, how it is we are apart from the grace of Christ. Well, we can call it the self-life, the life that is self-centered and self-ish. And the alternative is to sow to the Spirit, Uh, And by the Spirit, uh, we can walk uh, with God. We can be led by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. And these are two absolutely opposite ways of living. And we can sow into each of these fields. We can sow weeds or we can sow good seed. And this is really a freeing truth. It means that who we are and how we live is not predetermined. We're not helpless, uh, victims of our nature, our genes, our personalities, our environment. Not the people around us, not society. If we're in Christ, we're free. And Paul is telling us here, and to a large measure, who we become is a result of our conduct. If we sow to the flesh, if we set up idols in our lives, yield to its desires and impulses, we will harvest what Paul calls the works of the flesh. It's there in the end of chapter 5. We sow to the flesh by what we play in the theater of our hearts and minds. The desires we set our hearts on, the dreams we have about life, about what makes life good, satisfying... What we tell ourselves we must have, from a certain standard of living to the approval or affirmation or applause of people. The thoughts that we nurture are also a way of sowing. If we replay the hurts that we've received or the disappointments we've experienced, we will grow dark, perhaps bitter, vengeful, or depressed. We sow by the company we keep, by what we give ourselves to on our screens, the choices we make in our entertainment. If you saturate yourself with a news that recounts grievances, is negative, and is out to assign blame, it will shape how you see the world. It's likely to diminish your confidence that God is at work in human history and you'll be angry at those uh, who you blame. If you listen to talk radio, uh, where harsh and uncharitable language is used about people who hold uh, different views, you will become coarse and cynical yourself. And you're likely uh, to be someone who is, well, Move to dissension and difficult uh, to talk with about a view, a point of view that you don't agree with. We sow to the Spirit by seeking the things above. By discipline, habits of seeking God in private and public. in setting aside quality time each day if it's possible uh, to read and meditate on His Word. To worship and pray and, and give thanks and express gratitude. And for you young moms, that is really hard to do when you have little ones under your feet. And uh, you may uh, have to really scale back your expectations there. Um, And that's okay. God knows you're uh, just juggling uh, through uh, the day uh, your responsibilities. We uh, sow when we guard our hearts and develop spiritual friendships where we can converse about the state of our lives in relation to God. And that's one of the things that having a small group and participating in it can support. We sow by putting to death the flesh, by pulling up the weeds uh, when we repent of our sin. We sow by warming ourselves and our hearts by what Christ has done for us and his love and acceptance uh, for us. And we sow to the Spirit by putting on The very character of Christ, like clothing, his compassion, his patience, his forbearance, uh, his humility, his tenderness, his love. And we are warned in verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. King David, he just illustrates this so powerfully. It's a sad thing, the story of David and his kids. It's found in the second book of Samuel. Uh, David, who was a man after God's own uh, heart, came to a place where he was less passionate about God than his glory of being a king. He accumulated wives. There are seven of them we know about. And he allowed pornographic urges to get the best of him. And and you probably know the rest of the story. So let me catalog the sins involved. First, there was toxic polygamy, then pornography, then infidelity, then subterfuge, then murder, and then a cover-up. And the laws of harvest work out in the lives of his children. Solomon, one of David's sons, ultimately the one who inherited the throne, do you know what his number one sin was? Polygamy. He was not content to have a harem as big as David's. He accumulated a thousand wives. Ammon, another one of David's sons, became lustfully enchanted with his half-sister Tamar, and Uh, His heart was so uh, gripped by her beauty and his uh, lust that the thoughts of him made him actually sick. Amnon, in an act of subterfuge and deception on both his father and uh, Tamar, uh, ordered her uh, to his bedroom to feed him by hand. Uh, Ammon raped Tamar, and then just as quickly as his passions had flared, uh, he reversed himself completely and threw her out as if she was a bag of rotten uh, garbage. Absalom Tamar's brother heard about what Amnon had done to his sister, and he seethed with rage for two years. And then he finally used deception against his father to get all his brothers uh, to gather where the sheep shearers were working. And in the process, he got Amnon drunk. That was a trick he'd learned uh, from his uh, father when his father was trying to cover up uh, his sexual misdeeds with uh, Bathsheba. He got her husband, Uriah, drunk twice when Amnon's guard was finally down, Absalom gave the word to his bodyguards, and they struck Amnon dead. Later on, Absalom attempted a, a coup to d- remove his father from the throne. And at the beginning of it, he pitched a tent up on the roof of the king's palace uh, in the site of uh, Israel t- to show how odious uh, this was and what a s- bold step he took, and he forced sex with some of David's wives. We reap exactly what we sow. David saw his sins come back on him in his children. Absalom's pitching a, a tent on the roof. Does that ring a bell for you? That's where David was instead of out with his army when he saw Bathsheba taking her bath. You may fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. The law of reaping is written in, not just into the physical universe, but into the moral and spiritual universe. The next application is to sow good action. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household, uh, faith. By doing good, Paul means active Christian uh, service, helping people with their practical needs, assisting them, including assisting them financially. Since Christ is uh, the head of the body and we are his members, we can say that we are his arms and his hands, which dispense Christ's love and kindness and mercy. Jesus makes this point in Matthew 25 when he says when we care for the sick the poor and in prison we've actually done it to him. And Paul says we are to prioritize God's household the family of believers first. But we're not to limit ourselves to the church. Paul adds as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone. Now, one way uh, that we do that here is with a deacon's fund, and this is a a good practice. Um, These funds are primarily used for the financial needs that are in the congregation. Although, admittedly, sometimes deacons have a hard time knowing about those needs. Sometimes members won't ask uh, for the help they need. But if I may suggest a principle, Jesus is not an investment banker, when Jesus gives resources to the church, there's a need that he wants to address, even if it's not immediately apparent uh, what it is. But being generous is not limited to the deacons and the deacons fund. It falls on all of us who are Christ followers. Now, in 1998, on January 1, we moved to Atlanta. Atlanta. And sometime that spring, we were awoken in the middle of the night to sirens, very loud sirens. And we had no idea. It wasn't an ambulance or some other first responder. We had absolutely no idea what that was. When we got up in the morning, we found out that there had been terrible tornadoes just a few miles away in a neighborhood called Dunwoody. And there was a new church being planted there. Uh, And that new church, even though none of the members were affected by the tornado, hundreds of homes had been destroyed. They rose up and began to serve uh, the neighborhood, and they invited others uh, to join with them. This is a good practice. When a community has a disaster, the church should rise to the occasion and serve its neighbors but we easily get discouraged when we sow, especially when we're doing good. And Paul encourages us. He says, we will reap in due season. This is true, of course, for the farmer, for the gardener, and even if you are sowing seed in your lawn, you have to wait. But Paul says, if we're not haphazard, uh, if we'll persevere, if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest, and otherwise we won't reap the harvest that we might have. Just what will we reap? Well, Paul doesn't tell us, but I think we can kind of work this out. We may bring comfort and relief and assistance to someone in need. Uh, We may help arrest moral decay. Our doing good is one of the ways that we are salt and light. Uh, we may increase people's appreciation uh, for what's beautiful and noble and good and true. People may come to know Christ and it will change us. And if you're faithful in doing this, it's very likely that God will give you more opportunities uh, to serve. He will give you greater responsibilities. We're to do this first for the household of faith and then all men as we have opportunity. That doesn't mean all needs but those that God puts in front of us. The last part of this letter, Paul ends with his final appeal. He gathers up so many of the threads that we've already uh, looked at, and so we'll just look at this very briefly. We are to sow the gospel of grace, but it's possible to sow moralism and uh, legalism, Uh, to think of Christianity is merely a matter of an outward obedience to circumcision and law-keeping as the way to achieve God's acceptance and approval. Or we may sow the gospel of grace. That gospel transforms us, and it results in our being a new creation. How can you tell which you've been sowing to spiritually? What do you boast in? That's what Paul asks. If you are boasting in what you can do, the outward expressions of your uh, religion, you are not, you are not sowing the gospel of grace. But if you're boasting in Christ's cross, which humbles our pride, which is not about what we can do or have done, but what he has done, uh, we will uh, experience a new birth, the new life, the gift of a right standing with God, and we will in time grow in grace. Even Jesus sowed. He's the great farmer, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. He sowed in word, and his deeds, his miracles especially, testified that his word uh, was a true word from God. That is, call uh, to repent and believe that the kingdom of God had broken in to human history with his coming, for he was the king. Well, he sowed that seed for years. And at the end, after his death and resurrection, we don't know exactly how many people responded But we see that those who heard his call to stay in Jerusalem and pray for the gift of the Spirit numbered 120. Maybe that didn't include the 12. I don't know. But it wasn't very many. But that day, when the Spirit came, Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people believed and were baptized. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Peter preaches another sermon, and 2,000 people believe and are baptized. Peter didn't sow that seed. Not much. Jesus sowed that seed. That was Peter harvesting the seed that Jesus had planted. Jesus uh, himself speaks of the sowing of his life uh, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was speaking of his death. Jesus sowed by suffering in our place. Jesus sowed by undergoing the death that we deserve. Jesus sowed in receiving into his own body and soul the wrath of God. Jesus sowed as the sun turned dark. And for three hours he was completely cut off uh, from the Father. And Jesus uh, sowed in his uh, rising uh, from uh, the dead. And the harvest of his sowing is life and freedom and grace and a new creation. And that new creation is evident all over the globe in the church. It's a multitude beyond counting. Vast as the starry sky is the sand of grains on the beach. And in the book of Revelation, we see uh, the fullness of what he's doing when we're told that people from every tribe and nation and tongue will be gathered at the throne to worship the Lamb. Have you received the word of the gospel? Have you received and trusted that Jesus died in your place? Have you turned from yourself And put your trust in him. This morning, if you haven't done that, is a good day. It's a good day to respond now to the grace being extended to you in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, may you grant that all of us who are here would not only receive the gospel of grace, but but have it sowed by your spirit deep into our lives. Lord, enable us to walk out what we've heard, to live it well. And Lord, where we have deceived ourselves, may be pleased to make us soft, not to refuse what you're saying to us. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.